Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for May 11th of 2017. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHurts.com. Well, we have our conference finals. Anaheim got over their Game 7 stretch of horrors. The Capitals did, did, did not. not. Did not. Um, Pittsburgh has now beat them nine out of the ten times the teams have met in the playoffs. We will talk a lot about that series and then um, about the conference finals. So we're heading into this <clears throat> podcast. Uh, we didn't do a ton of prep. We're just going to organically uh, let the conversation take <laughs> us where it may, which isn't unlike <laughs> most of these. But um, I just I think there's so much to talk about about what happened in penguins capitals and you know the Corsi stats were what they were and and a bunch of other stuff it was an interesting series with an unexpected result i thought and it's a result that makes my job easier so i'm good with it i'm good with it as a fan just purely (laughs) as a fan you know my favorite player was a major part of them actually winning the series as opposed to losing the series. So that's a nice nice change from other 3-1 series leads that they've had previously. So um, it's nice to see a good positive result and the team move on in a series that, in all honesty, if you look at the spread of the seven games, they had no right to win four of them. No. And it's another reminder that these methods that people use that I also try to attempt to use. They ain't a hundred percent chasing the boogeyman. If you think it's going to be a hundred percent, but um, it doesn't shake my belief in any of it. I still think if that series plays out the way it does more times than not, Washington's going to uh, do just fine. And it didn't happen this time. But this, this is the, this is the argument, isn't it though? I mean, I, I would have argued the time of boost Boudreaux, that it should have run its course and they should have won a second-round series in there somewhere. And then they blew up the Boudreaux idea and went through a couple of different coaches. And they're now back to a you know a coach that I would consider with the right idea in regards to, to how the hockey should be played. But they still couldn't win from that either. It's like, at what point do you go, the process is broken or is it the roster that's broken that needs to be changed? I think that you could try and answer all of that stuff, or you could just say Flurry outplayed Holtby. Well, then that's the you know, importance Murray of that out, position. Murray outplayed Holtby last year, like a completely different goalie outplayed him last year. You know, as well as Mark Andre Flurry played this series, he was a nine twenty six even strength save percentage last year. Murray was nine forty five. I know. So both years, Pittsburgh had better goaltending than the guy that's supposedly known for the best playoff goaltending. I, I just I try to look at it with um, an unbiased, you know, a non-fan sort of an eye over over the series. And really, the the best part of the series from a Penguins' point of view was literally period three, game seven. They kept their foot down, 
and they pressed. They actually got a two-man forecheck on. They had the courage to do it and stick to it, and that was pretty much where the Hornquist goal came from. So it, it, it'll be it'll be great to actually, you know, when you get those DVDs of the, the playoff year, mm-hmm. um, it'd be great if they could wow. actually do a. a I don't know if anybody gets DVDs anymore. Maybe in Australia, you know, but... <laughs> uh, um, you know what I mean, though. Like, you get the, the videos of the... God, I've gone back to another goddamn... We'll get the beta tape out of the, um, the look back at the playoffs. And it's like, it would be great to actually be able to have legitimate... Um, conversations with the coaching staff about what it was that they were doing that, that they decided to change and why they let it fall the way it did in games five and six because it took them a little bit to make some adjustments there and they made them well in game seven but there was no in-game adjustments in game six that it looked like holy crap they've got nothing left they've got no more idea yeah they kind of sat back a lot in a lot of those other games they did the the protect the net thing and that did limit right. high danger because and that was necessary because Flurry's been great with low to medium danger. He's still a 75%-ish um, high danger goalie right now, which is lower end. And Pittsburgh helped him by nullifying the volume of those kind of opportunities. And that led to them having a puncher's chance. And they did they did change things in Game 7, and it was pretty obvious from the first period, even though the possession numbers didn't flip really until the third. <clears throat> Pittsburgh was pinching their defensemen weak side when the puck came around, like it would go strong side to weak side. They were just sending them with reckless abandon, and it was earning them a little bit more zone time than they would have had. And I was a big proponent of... Or I was enjoying seeing that playing to win. Um, yes, it opens them up for. There were some clever breakouts for, from Washington, and they they had they developed some chances and zone time from it. But that's the double-edged sword, and I'd rather try to attack with that double edge than and worry about what kind of self-infliction comes from it later. You sit back, you're dead. Yeah, it's not I fair to flurry. It would have been fair to accept. Twenty-nine yep. shots, flurry with a shutout. Um, that could have easily been forty-five to fifty shots, and not a shutout if they had gone with the game six plan. So they get a one-goal lead off a broken play uh, that comes in on a keep-in, where Jake Kensel has amazing vision to not just fire it into Holtby's chest, but to find rust on the backside with Crosby doing a, a quick center drive to open up that lane drew the attention of, I think, might have been Niskanen. But it opened up that lane. Gensel saw it. Russ finished it. The third period, they out-attempted Washington 14-11, and there weren't many periods where Pittsburgh out-attempted Washington, period. Let alone Game 7, third period, with the Capitals down. Two goals, very desperate. Quite the predicament. It's almost like the Capitals expected Pittsburgh to sit back, and when they didn't, they weren't sure how to break out. They got broken up on that blue line trying to exit their own zone so often, particularly as the clock wound down further and further. It's They gave up it, six shots. I know. It was amazing. That was impressive and out of nowhere. 
Um, they were running what I thought was in a, a, the highly aggressive, like it's a 1-3-1 one, one or 2-3-4 or check where they're just like, go. And then the third, the F3 tracks back a little bit in case it gets mm. chipped through. And the weak side D-man has to be aware of people getting behind him. If they did some alley-oop plays, it might have blown up. But because the Penguins defensemen were in on the, the forwards at the hash marks, they didn't have time to, to alley-oop it and create bounces in the neutral zone for odd man breaks. The the um, the D-man pinching thing was a big thing for me because it was the most noticeable change from Johnson to Sullivan last year. It was the most noticeable change that they made. They, they stopped being passive and they, they got aggressive and trusted that they were going to win games rather than try not to lose them. And, you know, even like games, like game four, five, and six, they sort of got away from that. And then obviously it really blew out of control in, in game wow. six because they, one through, like they six, tried to... one through six, they got away from it. They really didn't have <laughs> much good. No, but they, the first two games of the, they didn't feel like they were getting, game six was the worst of the lot because every time they'd try to pinch, they'd second guess themselves and they'd miss the timing. And every pinch went wrong, every single one. So Their forecheck also wasn't very good from the forwards. The forwards no. set the table for that being – they have to buy at least enough time for – because let's be honest, I, I run – or we run – have run in the past in high school a very aggressive 2-3-4 check. The problem is if your two forwards don't get in to buy the time for the defenseman, that's a lot of skating for them to go from their own end to the offensive hash mark to keep this in and then expect them to get back to play D. Um, it's a lot to ask of the defenseman. So if the forwards are off a little bit, it can really break down and look terrible. But when it looks good, it looks good. It's a risk-reward uh, forecheck, and um, I'm glad they tried it because underdogs need to play to win. Underdogs that play to lose, lose. Yeah, so it was nice. It was a nice show. Just, yeah, just surprising. I mean, the hot takery over the next 48 hours for the Capitals and the Capitals fans will be harsh. Um, and it will definitely be a, a very different team Capitals next year. criticism. I mean, yeah, they dominated play, but at some point you have to step up and turn that possession into meaningful goals and they didn't do it no i know no you do have to actually finish the work i fully get that there is no excuse for them given the shot volumes for them to lose this series but game sevens anything can happen um you know you're going to see a lot of ovechkin stuff obviously happens every year they're eliminated but this seems to be like a boiling point because the way the Capitals are structured, this was their best-looking team maybe ever, or ever is going to be during this era. Um, but, you know, it's it's goofy. Flurry did have a, obviously, he, he had a shutout. But that butt-end save off the Ovechkin one-timer, I mean, <laughs> how many times <laughs> does that go in and... You know, that's that sums up the series, really. <laughs> Pretty much. As a righty, that's the most frustrating thing. You beat him clean over the arm, and that stupid, thin part of the shaft <laughs> hits the puck. Not only that, that's an Ovechkin one-timer. If that glances off even the side part of the thin shaft, 
it maybe deflects in. It hit yeah. it square. No, no, it, <laughs> it hit, it hit it square. Clutch. I mean, yeah. Couldn't have, couldn't have um, hit that stick any better if he tried. Really, it's, it's amazing. Um, it'll be an interesting team that Caps team next year, though. Yeah, they'll be. A, a, we'll certainly cover them, and the, as we get through to the off season, they'll be a fascinating team to follow. A lot of choices and decisions. Um, Chad and Kirk, Oshie, Williams, Alsner. Not that Alsner should be grouped with those three, but all probably gone. Kuznetsov, Burakovsky, Orlov, Schmidt all do raises. This is where the Orpa contract's going to bite them. Yep, yep, yep. So, still be a good team. But not maybe President's Trophy level. And people make fun of them for that, but that that shows that they're a quality team um, winning that much. And they're probably not going to be on that level anymore. No, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. It's, I, I just find, I just find it amazing that I can't get my head around the fact that the Penguins won it. To be perfectly honest, and they won that game. It wasn't the Caps lost it? To be perfectly honest, I actually think this is one where you can actually go, "Yep, he def, they definitely won this game," as opposed to what you could say about games one and two, where it was it kind of felt like the Caps lost those games, really. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it's games one through six, Pittsburgh just found a way to win just enough, and it bought them time to. Take that. Get this shit. I don't know if they didn't. That forecheck could have backfired too. And I talked yeah, about the, the shaft uh, one timer. Like there were things that could have gone wrong, but they didn't. And um, yeah. they were fortunate to get by, in my opinion. But the reward is the bracket system. This was going to be their toughest series, in my estimation. And they got through it. That doesn't mean it's an automatic win for the series against Ottawa, but I think they're they're a favorite, whereas that just wasn't the case against Washington. Or if they were a favorite, you were definitely wearing Penguins colored glasses. I still can't get my head around the fact that Ottawa are through. Like I, I had Boston beating them in the in the first round and they've got through in six games. Like you know 12 games they've played to get to this point. If they still do feel like if you can somehow nullify Carlson, which seems to be almost impossible, um, they're a one-man show. They're not quite that shallow, but that's how it feels. Yeah. Um, I think if Pittsburgh plays speed guys against Carlson and just kind of aggressively almost shadow him, what what else is left? That's a bad defense grouping. It is, but you're looking at a team with a bad defensive grouping. Is the thing that I find fascinating with this is that Washington's ability to push up the ice and really force the Pittsburgh defense to make errors in their own defensive zone. That's not how Ottawa plays. It's not how they played against the Rangers. It's not how they played against Boston. So. It'll be interesting to see whether they do play the sit-back four-check 
or whether they actually try and get aggressive because Ottawa are actually okay. When they've got the puck in the offensive zone, they can actually generate zone time and they can actually control the puck. Pittsburgh's defense have proven that they're not great when they get trapped. So I'll be interested to know how Ottawa plan on getting into the zone. Once they get in the zone, they'll be fine. But how they plan on getting there will be interesting to see how the two coaches attack each other. It's it's kind of going to be like the Columbus series where I just think Pittsburgh's high-end talent is just better. So it won't matter what they're doing? Perhaps. I mean, I like Hoffman. I like Stone. I like that Clark MacArthur's back. Turris is good. But does any of that sound like Sid Gino Phil? And then Gensel? No. Or... You know what I mean? Yeah, no, your argument's pretty solid. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I don't know. You get there and you, you, you've gotten over the best team in the league and you go, well, we've got to play Ottawa. Then you go, well, you can't disrespect them, but then you go, well, we've got to play Ottawa. No. You can't disrespect the opponent in a conference finals. And... For all the talk about experience and that kind of stuff, I kind of gloss over a lot of that, but I think this is the one situation where it can come into play where I don't think the Penguins players will look past the current series. In fact, I don't think the Penguins look past the current game of the last series. They did a pretty good job of forgetting Game 6. They did, actually. That's a good point. So, maybe, maybe Ottawa does to the Penguins... What they just did to Washington. Could happen. Craig Anderson's been really good. He has. That's exactly right. But it's it's, it's a lot to it's a lot to ask of Carlson. Wow. Pittsburgh speed's the one thing that could do him over, really. The Ottawa. <sighs> I just, I don't know. It's, I look at the Ottawa team and I look at the way they sort of, well, they threw Chris Neal out there and played him for all of two minutes in a game six that they eliminated a team that played, that played bloody tenor glass as well. It's just, the way that this team is constructed is not the sort of team that I would want to I be a fan of. I'm shocked that the Rangers lost with him in their lineup. <laughs> it's not so I don't know it's just you do get there and go just imagine if you had Eric Carlson on a team that was a little deeper not just in the back end but just you know a whole forward 12 that could actually play with the puck and not just dump it I mean he's ridiculously awesome enough already as it is but my goodness um, you know what's funny about Game 7s is kind of how like the weirdest stuff happens Mike Rupp, two goals Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final Max Talbot, two goals yeah. Stanley Cup Final kind of deal and uh, you know that kind of stuff happens and then last night <laughs> I couldn't help it Patrick Hornquist did the most marvelous thing ever he skated across the offensive blue line with the puck did not chip it deep curled and left a drop pass for the trailer yeah it was weird wasn't it that was something um 
and then follows it up with a backhand snipe. Two things that, you know, aren't really things that you would consider his skill set, but no complaints right. here. Those were, that, that was very good. I would like to see more of it's, it. It does make you wonder at times why he doesn't try to control an entry and why he does dump it as often as he does. Because that, that, like like you said, the the, zone, the controlled zone entry was there and then the the play on his backhand shows that he has is his brain just can't keep up? Like I don't, I don't get it. His hands are obviously there at times. It's the bit that I don't understand. Makes no sense. So that was that was one of the takeaways I had last night that I was super impressed. But yeah, it's one stupid one-off entry, but like it just goes to show how visceral it was because it happened, and I was like, "Holy cow!" <laughs> <laughs> May have had more reaction to this? that than the first goal. <laughs> Well, that, that backhand goal that he scored, like, I'm watching that game. Like, I've watched it twice now, and I still can't get my head around the fact that it went in. Like, I'm fortunate to, to go through the legs and stuff like that. Now, now, Ovechkin does deserve criticism for that sequence because I thought while Shattenkirk could have curled behind the net on his forehand, he chose to go up on his backhand strong side. I thought he left it in an area where Ovechkin could have chipped that puck out, and he didn't. And it didn't I work. still don't know why Holtby actually played it to Shattenkirk onto his backhand. Yeah, he did. And it's like, well, you're asking him to... And he, look, he had time to actually turn and get onto his forehand and not make the play that he did. I thought it was put but, in an okay spot. There was a play just, to be yeah, made. There was, but it's just rushing him, that's all. I, I just, you get there and it's like, they got more and more frantic, obviously, as the clock ran down, and you could see it affecting everything that they did. And then once that happened... Well, that's, um, that that's happened? what pressure does. And yeah. that's why sitting and, back was not the right call, and that's not the one they ended up doing. No, which is a, a relief. Sometimes for, for the any, quickest yeah. method out, like... Like sometimes when you want to trap an animal, you you create a convenient path, like a bridge over a mini stream or something, as opposed to going around it. And when you're pressured a lot, you just want that easiest, quickest way. And and sometimes you're being led into the teeth of what that forecheck is. Yeah, exactly. Because Pittsburgh was forechecking inside out, forcing them up the boards. Well, why did they do that? Well, they have their defensemen coming a million miles an hour to the hash marks. You need a low center breakout to beat that, or you need to high flip it weak side and hope your speedy winger, much like what they used to do with Hagelin and Kessel last year. Remember when Tampa would pinch their D down and they would just alley-oop it? That's one way to beat it. The other way is to have your center be extremely low and have the balls to make a center breakout from a precarious position. And the Capitals didn't either, and they got eaten up a lot. Uh, hockey's a weird sport. This Pittsburgh team, as it's constructed for this particular game, is extremely flawed, and they beat a team that is less flawed. I thought Sullivan deserves credit for putting Scott Wilson in. Take yep, a cool I want to 
Um, if ha- we haven't really touched on it. Haglin, healthy scratch. Well, healthy in quotation marks. There's that foot's yeah. not right. Nope, <laughs> not even close. <clears throat> but Rowney, I thought you know, with the time he had, was okay. Kuhnhackel, um, slower. I don't find his penalty killing unique enough to keep in the lineup. I don't find his even strength play good enough uh, compared to Scott Wilson at a 1.91 points per 60 in the regular season. The thing for me with Wilson is that he's confident when he's got the puck on his stick. He wants to make plays. He wants to create. He wants to do something aggressive when he gets the puck. Kunako, because he's at that half a step slower, is more worried about not losing the puck than doing something positive with it. And um, that was a big thing I noticed the most um, with Wilson out there on the ice is everything just happens a little bit snappier with him on the ice. Yeah, um, and, and speed. You know. Yeah. Even if all yeah. things are equal, it's... take the take the faster player. So, I don't know. That's just my thought. No, I was, I was very happy with that. It, it'll. Be fascinating to see that they've got what till Saturday to try and get healthy. Whether Hagelin steps back in or whether they keep with that. Seeing as though it's mean, just like, one game, they could hold him out for just a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I wouldn't take Wilson out. Not that he's been a, the greatest ever, but I, I think there's a higher ceiling to a player like that. And if I'm correct, his points per sixty. In the Washington series, he only played three games. Was two point something. He only had one yeah, assist. So okay. <laughs> he only had one point, but he can only do with what he's given. So yep. during the time period he was given, highly productive with that one point. And look, the power play didn't give up a goal without Kunuckle there, so. You know, it's not like that's a big problem. Not that you and I ever think that it really is. Like among, anybody among the guys that, that have a, a, a large sample of penalty killing this year for the Penguins, he's by far the worst forward at shot volume against during penalty killing. So I think we can throw that in the garbage. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I'm all for that. So. Um, Anything else about this series that was uh, interesting to you? Um, no, just that your call on Burakowski turned out to be on the money he needed to perform, and he, he did to help get it back to 3-3, and then just like the entire team, couldn't get a puck past Fleury in the post. So, yeah. you know, they look, they, they're going to be fine next year. They're not going to be as good. But they're not going to suddenly fall off a map. I don't really have. I don't think I've got anything to sort of add to the, the general theme of what we've just covered. Trying to find Burakovsky, 2.04 points per 60 in the playoffs. That was higher in the Pittsburgh series. <clears throat> so moving him up to the top line, I thought was fine. Uh, Tom Wilson, 0.00 points per 60 against the Penguins. So while I don't mind Ovechkin dropping down the lineup to spread the ability out, you know, you have to be able to have a guy, like when the Penguins do it with Kessel, Benino and Hagelin can 
can do a few things. Benino can make plays with the puck. Tom Wilson, he's just not that that kind of player. Yes, but they think he is. They think he can do that stuff. That's the problem. They see that in his skill set. I don't. He's a total liability. He's not Tanner Glass. He's not close to that. But, you know, you see a little bit more offense uh, playing third-line minutes on a contending team. Feels like feels like he's Kunakal Hansish, really. Like you look at the output that Kunakal provides, and you look at the output offensively that Wilson provides. I don't think there's that big a gap between the two of them. One point two four for nothing. Wilson, one point four four for Kunakal during the regular season. There you go, and you know Kunakal's fine as a fourth line winger, as your twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth guy. But as soon as he starts to draw up into that top nine, which is where they're playing Wilson, you know you're in a bit of trouble. So they might need to they need to reassess some of these players and actually understand what they are. And I don't think that the player evaluation side of things for Washington works out that well. I mean, they weren't even playing Schmidt in the series at the start, and they were playing Orpik more minutes than him anyway. Um, the worst thing Scott Wilson did was actually get in a fight with Orpik to have Orpik off the ice for five minutes. It's like, no, don't do that. Right. You want, you want him on there. Um, so th- they're the things that I think Trotz and, and McClellan need to get um, criticised for is their talent evaluation in regards to what they think a player is and then putting them in a role to get the most out of that talent. You're right about dropping over down to the third line. That's great. Spread it out, but at least have him down there with somebody that can do something with the puck. Jay Beagle can do more with the puck than, than Wilson can. I don't advocate for that either. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? Like, no, that's, know, that's, that's where they're at. Yeah. Brett Conley. Or yeah. not. Yeah, well. He had a 1.98 points per 60 this year. Did well in scoring chance data. And they dropped him. Had to had to give Orpik his minutes. Yeah, I don't. And th- that's the thing. It's like those little things you, on the margins matter when yeah. you're out possessing and the other team's still hanging around. Yeah, we so, said it from the start. Of the playoffs. The playoffs are run one at the margins. Brett Conley, one point two six goals per sixty at even strength, second on the Capitals. Oh, she was actually number one. Thought he, thought he played fine. He'd be, he'd be disappointed in himself. Some of those rebounds that he couldn't couldn't label. Yeah, that happens. We know we know how the shooting percentage thing goes, game over game. So, um, yeah, we'll um put a pause on that series uh we'll talk at the very end something penguins related that happened today as well uh, the gm so we have to so it's so but, demoralizing but, um <laughs> anaheim down to nothing yeah. went into edmonton won two games uh probably won a game they shouldn't have on that goal, <laughs> goal interference call but there is yeah. enough of a sample left for edmonton to right that wrong and it doesn't make it right that they screwed that up, but 
At least it wasn't like the series clinching game. Yeah. Um, so the Ducks magically win game seven. And it also seems to coincide with the time that their goalie wasn't a pig. Funny how that works. Uh, you, you and I both follow the, we both believe in the stats. You hear us talk about them all the time. You get to the playoffs, and it's literally throw them out the window. If your goalie is great, you're probably going to win. If your goalie is shit, you're probably going to lose. That's how it feels. Watched a lot of can't uh, tell. a lot of Anaheim's game seven issues are just strictly their goalie wasn't good enough. Driving yep. play, playing well. And Gibson made enough saves last night, and they snuck one under Talbot's armpit. Third period, that was it. Feel sorry, feel sorry for Talbot on that goal as well. Like he did everything, he did everything right the rest of the game. It's just you get there with that one, and he he couldn't push and get straight, couldn't get himself upright to, to come out to the puck. And well done, it was Richie, wasn't it, that tucked it by? Yep. Yep, it's a good shot. So thought, um, get, thought Ryan uh, Getzlaff was amazing in this. Oh, he's been a beast. He's gotten better as the playoffs have gone along, which is great for him. He's, um, he's really good. Always has been. That's what happens when you get out to the West. You just get hidden away a little bit. It's tough with the time zones. It is. Um... The uh, the West Final should be okay. I think it'll be good. You know, different contrasting styles of, of, of hockey and um, deep deep rosters. I think they're whoever, similar. Whoever comes, out, whoever comes out of the West should feel pretty confident about winning the cup. There's no team here that I'd say is an outright and out favorite before the left. Yeah, because um, so Nashville and Anaheim's strengths are back end. Back end, and the, I would argue only maybe Minnesota is kind of up in that echelon of having six guys that are pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, Anaheim and Nashville's forward depth kind of similar. And the goaltending is uh, hit and miss for both teams, so I think it'll be uh, good, good late night watching. If I run with my theory of it's basically the the goalie that plays best wins, which of those two goalies do you trust to play the best for enough games to win four? Um, I I, I think Rene's had a better playoffs. He has. So but I'm waiting for him to do what I thought Fleury would do, which is fall off, and he hasn't. <laughs> no, he has not. I've um, I picked Minnesota over Nashville on my bracket thing, and that obviously kind of didn't happen. But I thought highly of Nashville. I thought that that side of the bracket was going to be the one to deal with to get to the final, and I don't think my yeah. opinions really changed of that. I think LaViolette's a, a tad more progressive than Carlisle. And I think that assertiveness and aggressive uh, jump from the back end is it will be the difference. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I, look, I picked Nashville to lose to Washington in my little bracket thingy-jiggy-jiggy. So 
Um, I'm going to ride the Predators train on that one. Um, they just seem to be sort of firing at the right time of the year. I always thought they'd be all right. They seem to get everything into the right frame of mind for this time of year, and we've now got Renee actually stopping pucks. So what do you know? My concern for Anaheim is, is Patrick Eves being out. Yeah, that sucks. And it doesn't sound like super short term. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's having a unsustainable goal scoring year. But I've kind of highlighted him as a great depth pickup for anybody who could get a hold of him. And Dallas for a while said nobody's getting a hold of him. We're going to keep him. And <laughs> that trade, uh, the price was. I think it's a first rounder now, right? It is. It is now steep, that they've got this far steep, but um, guys like that really helped with their depth to get him to this point, and he's out. So I think that's a, a bigger loss than maybe some people think. Trickle down effect for the lineup. Yep. Exactly. So I don't see any Trickle injuries. For Nashville, that are too significant. Can't, no, they're, can't they're remember. Is through... it Craig Smith or Colin Wilson that's really not been in the lineup? Oh, I can't remember. Was it Salamaki that got split in half? Oh, maybe. No, but either Wilson or. Oh, sorry, Smith. I actually, I cannot. One of those two. I've always confused them over the years. Yep. One same. of those two has been out for a majority of the playoffs. Yeah, I literally cannot remember. Their stats are somewhat similar, too. Doesn't help. Yeah. Now, but that back end, they've got fantastic. So, whether it's Smith or Wilson, whichever one it is, I can't remember. <laughs> Wilson's played um, five games. I don't see Craig Smith on here. It must be Smitty that's been in MIA. Well, I'm going to casually... Look up, his, look up his situation. Because if they could get a player back like that, yeah, that makes them a little bit more dangerous, in my opinion. You can keep talking. This is taking longer than I thought. Oh, really? I can talk? Yes, cool. you have. You've been, <laughs> you've been granted. Smith hasn't been able to play since April 17th. Oh, wow, says he's back for game six Sunday, so um, it was Smith, and it appears that he's not back. I don't know. He's. It seems like he's on the cusp of being back, and I think that'll help. Yes, I think you're right. So. Absolutely. I don't know. Who would you pick? Would Would you pick? Are you going to go Nashville? Is that your pick for for yeah, the? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's boring. No, it's just <laughs> you know, it is what there's only there's only two choices. Oh, I realize this. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm picking it's, Pittsburgh it's on the other side, of course. Uh, was this the thing? Like I picked Calgary to be Anaheim, so I've not I've not, and then I thought Edmonton would be Anaheim, and that was wrong again as well. I so, actually had Anaheim going to the conference final. Okay. I just 
obviously have no faith at all in the coach. So I'm one for four on conference final picks, and the Ducks are my one, and I'm picking them to lose. Well, I had um I had Nashville to get to the Cup final, so I've got this right at least this far. But I did two brackets. One of them I had the Capitals winning, and one of them I had Pittsburgh winning. So definitely didn't have Ottawa making it. Put it that way. I had uh, Washington, and you know, didn't happen. No. Don't regret it. Logic dictated. <laughs> logic dictated uh, that was an okay choice, and. Uh, they want full capitals again. Man, nine times Penguins have knocked them out since 1990. That sucks. That's just, that's brutal. It's crazy. It is. Hey, just quickly, like, are we, are we finished talking about the West? Sure. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. Why? What, what, what do you hell? got? No, I've, I've got. I'm, just, I'm curious. What the hell did New York do now? Which one? The Rangers, well, I, I assume. Got... Yeah, like. I don't know. I saw a Yost tweet. This is what year six or seven of the same same script for them. Yeah. Bad defense. Exactly. Lundqvist doing Lundqvist things. Maybe the forwards. Uh, can carry the offense enough. They, much like the Capitals, their window was a little bit a few years ago, like when they beat up on the Penguins. And that 2013-14, 14-15 time period, was, that was when the Rangers had to, had to go and, and, and yeah. do it. And they made a final. That, that was impressive. But that, they sacrificed, uh, you know, they paid... For Yandel, and they made other similar trades using futures, and you know they're going to have to do one of those rebuilds on the fly without a Crosby or a Malkin or both. <laughs> yep, can't forget how unfair that is. See, that's um, the thing with as low as it got with Pittsburgh, they still had Crosby, Malkin, Latang. So no matter what GM was in charge of that ship, there was always a light at the end of the tunnel as long as you didn't somehow set off C4 and and explode that tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) And and these other teams just aren't as fortunate to have that. It's a lot more difficult. The the room for air for pretty much every other GM in the league outside of Pittsburgh is is really tough because they got three elite players at the positions that every GM is chasing. So rebuilding on the fly is a possible thing. I don't know what the Rangers do. Lundqvist is still good, very good. But he's older, 35-ish. Even if he's just okay good, um, that's not going to be good enough with that roster. No. Not fair to him. And it's also maybe a uh, warning shot for the Canadians investing age 31 through 39 into carry price and you can only know what that cap hit's got to be yeah something ginormous so i don't know that's i was just curious it's one of those things where it's like well they're out again and it's 
it just feels like it's it's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Nothing's really changed. They've not really had another crack at using it differently. I think their coach lost them two of those games in that series. So I don't think a different coach could really do a lot there, but they might want to have a bit of a sit down and look at exactly how they go about some of their decision-making, I think. I guess we can extend this to what does Edmonton do now? And I think they're in a lot better spot. Well, yeah. I, for me, it's just filling out their bottom six depth and getting another defenseman that you can rely on moving the puck. Adam Larson's do not grow on trees. <laughs> <sighs> but they do cost dry idols and halls. <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> I don't trust that general manager to not fuck this up, though. His track record speaks for itself. Well, cups, cups are won on the margins, right? Pittsburgh were lucky. They had Stahl, Malkin, Crosby, Latang. Latang in a bottom pairing. Yeah, and Gonchar, right, when they won it. Dupuy was and... on a fourth line with Mero Shatan. So you, you look at it and you, you scope out that team and you because this was all done before Malkin and Crosby got off their entry levels. So the question is, do you trust Chiarelli to be able to put this together before McDavid has to start being paid six bazillion dollars a year? Because once it gets to that point, he's proven that he cannot manage a cap. Oh, <coughs> let's see. Oh man. And they've only got one more year of it. This and this is the problem. It, it, you get there with, it and it's like you got to give, you know, credit where credit was due in regards to how quickly Pittsburgh won their cup with those two guys making as little as they did, made building around them so much easier. But I just I don't trust him not to get this wrong. Yeah, can't really disagree. And it's only going to get a little bit worse. Lucic contract. Yeah. What what are they going to do with Chris Russell? Yep. Like, that could be one of those McDonald situations. But, you know, Sakara Clefbaum, Larson, not the worst three. No, and the thing the thing with those three though is that they're actually all priced relatively, I would say, correctly for what they provide, right? So, if you got there and you could go and lob yourself a bona fide number one, all of a sudden all those guys become two, three, fours, and that back end looks. Fit. I have no idea how you go about getting yourself a bona fide number one, but you get the point that I'm making. It's like, what the hell? What the hell do they... I just don't trust Chiarelli not to get there and toss a guy away that shouldn't be tossed and go for a... Well, I just don't like the Lucic signing for the length of time. No. It shortens shortens the window. Because they're probably going to trade Eberle. I bet you any money after this offseason, they'll trade him away. The perception on Eberle is you can track back to the beginnings. It's... Yep. Shooting percentage based, where 
oh man he's awesome oh man he sucks and it's probably like actually it's kind of been the same guy <laughs> you know yeah he would have been the guy I would have looked to trade for Adam Larson no actually I still wouldn't have done that but like ah, it still kills me that we if if Connor McDavid's going to be in stupid Edmonton why couldn't it be with Hall <laughs> yeah yeah I know what you mean I know what you said. I don't mean that. For those Edmonton folks listening, I didn't quite mean it as quite like that personal shot, but like smaller Canadian Western market, it's, it's NBC's reluctance to put that kind of team on TV. That That's where the hatred comes from. <laughs> In a nutshell. And time zone stuff, yeah. but that's nobody's fault. So. You know, I only just realized that Kim Talbot's actually 29. Yeah, it just goes to show, you know, these guys got to wait a long time for their turn some, sometimes. So the only issue you've got with that is, is Kim Talbot a big, he's a big guy, isn't he? Six, uh, six three, so it's not massive. I only, I only ask because you get there and go, he's going to get to the end of 18, 19, and he's going to go, okay, I want to get paid. Because find the next he guy. Hey, find the next guy. Th- that's my point. And once again, this is where I don't trust Chiarelli. He showed in Boston that he's more than happy to throw money at guys that he wants to be loyal to. Now he might have learned his lesson from that, and it might be different. But I would be trying to bank on finding the next guy. It's the that Talbot contract could be the Fleury contract that. Freaking Rutherford did not have to sign. And now, now, they don't... he beat Washington. There's no criticism to be had about past. Yes, yes, there is. There is plenty. No, it doesn't change the great and the now. It's almost like you can analyze Correct. things based on what happened, and they can both be good and bad. Yeah, huh, huh. With, with nuance. Huh. What? What's that word? Nuance. No... What, you don't want a black and white answer? Come no. on, man. Especially in this sport, because it's such a black and white sport. There aren't any... Luck is not involved, and fluky bounces, yeah. and... Point flips. Yep. So, um, I suppose, you know, I don't have much else to add about the conference finals. I think you got Penguins as a obvious favorite in the West. Uh, close to a pick although we're picking Nashville. There was other news today, and... I would have been a baby on Twitter today if Penguins lost and the Botterill news came out today as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Jason Botterill was officially hired by the Buffalo Sabres to be their next GM. You suck. Officially, I hate your closest NHL team, Ryan. I officially hate them. The... You know, when when teams hire GMs, you get a lot of people come out, oh, great person, great... Like, no one's going to say, boy, I... Crappy hire, uh, but, <laughs> but a lot of that talk usually is generic. I think with the Botterill stuff, there are a lot of specific things and skill sets that people have talked and referenced um, that make it, you know, a little bit more valid when you have specifics behind it. There's no doubt that he he may be the best guy in the league at managing the salary cap. 
uh, given all the clever. It, like if you don't follow Pittsburgh closely, it's just the stupid little things that he would do. Sending a guy from the NHL to the ECHL because it gained him like fifty grand or something on the cap. For I, I don't even know how to explain a lot of it, but I just knew when he was doing it, it was he's basically gaining them cap space uh, from situations that otherwise they wouldn't have had it if he didn't do uh, like those nuanced moves. And he was the general I, manager for Wilkes-Barre for a very long time. And how many Wilkes-Barre players in that program have come up to Pittsburgh and been contributors? I'd say quite a quite a number. My my issue with this happening is that where's Pittsburgh's succession plan go to? Because if it goes to fucking Bill Guerin, that's a disaster. Cap management's not about being great in the room, and that's what the job is now. It's trying to work out what goddamn talent is, and then also understanding how to fit it under the cap. And like you were saying. Botterell could do this down to the ECHL. He was he was that involved in it. He was he looked at it that deeply. I can't see Bulgarian running that. This is this is where I'm pissed at this happening. Is that I don't think it's a Rutherford, strength of Rutherford either. No, and this is no, and, and this is the the problem I have. It's like the reason this resurgence has come about from Pittsburgh is because they've been able to find cheap talent, like cheap skill. That's the big thing. They are a cap team. Every penny counts with them. Yep. We learned that with Nick Spalling. Somebody wanted to ignore somebody's advice on that contract and ended up <laughs> playing with 5D at the end of the year, coinciding with somebody's promotion after that happened and good moves starting to happen. Yeah, and, and when I say that, that is not to totally dismiss Rutherford's positive contributions to the franchise. I understand that. You can't just take all credit away. However, you know, moves got better when someone's voice was kind of respected a little bit more. Yeah. Hey, look, he's now not there to be able to help anything, so we're going to know pretty quick what's going on. And Rutherford's been on WGR in Buffalo this last hour. I've been kind of trying to follow it on Twitter as we've been talking. And he talked about how much he leaned on Pottero for a lot of stuff. Talked about how methodical he was. Said he doesn't need his advice. He learned things from me, and I've learned things from him. So it's well, a whole. We're gonna find out. It's a big one. And I guess my I issue think it's with frustrating. this. Why didn't they just go to Botterill instead of going to Rutherford? That's the bit that I don't understand. Yeah, because, again, he's 68 years old. Uh-huh. There's a natural like thing at play here that would suggest that sooner than later there needs to be a shift of power there. And... I look at it, and it's frustrating because when Pittsburgh goes to look for their next general manager, I think they'll be wanting to find a guy like Botterill. Correct. And you had him. (laughs) You could have bumped Rutherford upstairs as a president and gave Botterill the keys. Yep. For long-term viability. Very, very annoying. 
And that's not to dismiss any Rutherford success there has been. But you still have to keep big picture in mind, and I just think it was a, a lot of it short-sighted to lose a talent like that for basically nothing that you've had for... I, I just don't know how you can have that skill set in your organization for 10 years and continually suppress it as far as promotions go. And then think it's not going to burn you when it leaves. This offseason will be very interesting. It will. Botterill doesn't have the advantage of having Crosby, Malkin, and Latang to build around. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes with... I'll tell you what, though. Jack uh, Eichel's a really nice number one center, and O'Reilly is a really good number two center. So he will not be chasing top six centers. They are not Sid and Gino. They don't have to be Sid and Gino. He is going to, unfortunately, be chasing his Chris Latang. I don't know how he does that. But here's the other thing with Botterill. Salary cap genius, all that stuff. Who do you think is going to understand the expansion rules and where to hit uh, soft spots on other teams? To, to... Yep. This is a really unique offseason where this expansion draft has a lot of really quirky rules to it. Um, teams that are going to have to make trades. Maybe Botterill is able to trade for guys that would need protection from non-Las Vegas teams while trading quality player back in return that is young enough to not be protected. You know what I mean? Yep, I get what you're saying. Now this will be I will pay more attention to Buffalo because of this. Um, so, you know, it's it's another good thing for the NHL, I suppose, in that Penguins fans should be paying attention to what goes on this offseason for Pittsburgh and what goes on in Buffalo. Because it will be interesting to see if there's any contrast or if they're exactly the same or if Pittsburgh's uh, attitude towards the direction of style of play changes, all of those sorts of things. I don't think you see drastic changes on that. I think for whoever's credit you want to give to for the change in philosophy from 2014-15 where they're trading for Max LaPierre and junk like that to speed with Haglin and, and shedding Scuderi for, for Daly who can skate and stuff like that. I think it's pretty clear that the reason they've been successful is that change in philosophy. And I don't know why Botterill leaving would drastically change that, but maybe the ability to find under the radar guys that fit that at a proper price point, that may suffer. That's what worries me. The margins are so thin. When you get into that top four or five eight, we've just seen the Capitals lose on the margins. You know, I honestly didn't think Pittsburgh would get a chance to win a cup again. I thought that they'd be they were going to be one and done. Um, but they managed to work out how to get another crew around the big three, and, and off they went. Um, you know, I quite like winning Stanley Cups as a fan. I'd like to have more than one more crack at it than this year. Window's not closed yet. No bad moves have been made, so. I'm jumping the gun. Don't get me wrong. I know this. So Buffalo's got a guy that seems to be well-versed in, in a lot of different useful skills. And it's what they needed. It is. I don't think with Botterill there, you're going to get the Pizik for Kulikov trades. 
But he's also not coming in with a super magic wand where the Sabres are going to win a cup in two years. There's a lot of work to be done. There is. But, I mean, they're, they're lucky in that, like, um, Ryan O'Reilly signed for quite some time. Uh, so they're not going to have to worry about uh, re-upping on him. So they've got their, I mean, their centers are down, you know what I mean? That's a big thing. And they're both very good. So his yeah. thing is going to be, what can he do for the defense? Can he stop playing Ristolainen as a top-pairing guy that can't handle that role? Uh, they've got a young defenseman, last name Gooley, that was stuck with the same problem Sprong has had with the CHL no, nonsense. Not. He should be good to go next year, or he should just make the team next year. So what what to do with Evander Kane? It's going to be fun in Buffalo. So he's got um, got some work to do, but uh, as I mentioned, I think the Las Vegas expansion draft can be quite the opportunity for a team like Buffalo if they could get creative enough and, and use leverage and take advantage of other teams. It's almost they can speed this process up because of this expansion draft. Or it could go the other way. But it is a unique opportunity that won't be there next year. I think. I don't think Quebec's happening or anything like that. Seattle! Seattle! So, you know, it's been a promotion for him that's been well-deserved for a number of years. I personally thought it was going to be in Pittsburgh. But he does go back to Buffalo. He was a Rochester Amherst. I remember watching him in person. He was a good good AHL player. He's, his last organization was the, the Buffalo, so it's kind of a mini homecoming. Yeah. But I don't think that play – like Buffalo's famous for trying to hire former players and stuff like that. Oh, like okay. Mar- Marv Levy is – GM when he had no business doing that Pat, Pat LaFontaine thing uh, you know what I mean like they always chase yep, I mean, yeah. stuff like that I don't think this was it's anything like, like that it just happens to have that little mini tie in to it so I don't know that's what I got uh, Pittsburgh how about it yay but Jesus didn't think it was going to happen no They've got a wonderful opportunity ahead of them. Washington was the best team. Yeah, lucky to get through, but they're through. Ottawa, not as good as Washington. Stanley Cup final, hey, get there, find out. (laughs) It's there, it's close. So I guess that'll do. Just to let you know, Eric, we saw your questions, but I have to go to bed. Yep, time zones. All right, uh, patreon.com slash hockeyhurts, uh, com. at walshy 66 at hockey underscore hurts, at gunnerstall, hockeybuzz.com for my Penguins articles, which will involve more games, thankfully. Less, <laughs> less topics to come up with. I'm, I'm pretty glad about that. 
There's always a lot of topics right away after the season ends, and then not so much. So I'm glad I can delay that a little bit, selfishly. (laughs) So, all right. Saturday, Penguins, Senators. I think Friday, Nashville, Anaheim. Enjoy the games, and we will see you next time. Catch up.